millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is TalkSport Daily. Hello everyone, I'm Paul Ross and you are very welcome indeed to another TalkSport Daily podcast and it was another bumper bonanza of Premier League football over the weekend but the big news of the day came with this announcement. In tiers one and two, spectator sports and business events will be free to resume inside and outside. That's right, fans can finally make a return to stadiums, fingers crossed. With capacity limits and social distancing. We'll hear your reaction to that later, as well as John Motson's roundup of the weekend, the dreaded Mesut Ozil debate rearing its head again, and Andy Brassel talks Messi's future at Barcelona. But first, Spurs topped the Premier League this weekend after a 2-0 upset against Manchester City, and the TalkSport team have all been keen to have their say on the new league leaders. We'll hear from Troy Deeney, Perry Groves and Tim Sherwood, but first, with Tottenham now top of the Premier League, under Jose Mourinho, of course, Simon Jordan drew attention to similarities with the job Mourinho did at another London club. The first thing you sort of assess a player is how committed you are when you come to the football club, you buy a house in the area, you put your kids in a school. He was commuting back and forth from London and I think this London is where he likes to be. And whilst the fit of Tottenham, I think the project for Tottenham was different than we anticipated. I think he felt he can recreate Chelsea through Tottenham, i.e. the fact that he can rebuild them from the bottom up, make them substance, make them have backbone. It might not be the easiest on the eye, but what's easy on the eye is holding silver in front of your fans. Playing against the big teams, I actually think, suits Spurs because they can sit in and be difficult to break down and hit teams on the counter-attack. Their problem is going to be when they come against the so-called like the middle and bottom-tier teams where they sit deeper. If you look at the beginning of the season, then lose, lose against Everton at home, Draw against West Ham when they're 3-0 up, it goes back to 3-3. Draw against Newcastle. So they'll have to find a way to break teams down who sit a little bit deeper. Away from home again, it suits them because they can go on the counter-attack. Mm-hmm. I think when you play so solid as they do, and he's, he's almost brainwashed them into believing. And why wouldn't you believe him? He's won 20 major trophies in his career and you're winning football matches. So when you're winning football matches, you start believing that, you know, this guy is the real deal. He knows what he's talking about. And why can't we win the league? When we've got players like Son and Kane, who are world-class, who can play in any team in the world, you've always got a chance. They haven't played fantastically well this season, but who cares? On the back of my medal, it don't say, oh, by the way, we play, we didn't play well in 24 games. You know, you just go and pick it up, and that's it at the end of it. I can't see... 
I'm, I'm going to sit on the fence here and it's not normally what I do. I can't see Mourinho le- allowing Spurs to lose that many games. But I can see Man City going on more more of a win streak, if that makes sense. So they might get gain the points that way. I think I said it a couple of weeks ago that I like Spurs, I like what they're doing. I just don't think after nine games we can start saying that they're up there obviously on merit, but I don't think they're going to be the leading favourites. you still got Liverpool there, who I think, as we say, with all the injury under all the injuries they have it's only going to continue to get better and every time you're going to add a player back so next week they're going to have Salah back week after that they're going to have another player coming yeah. back from injury and they're only going to get better I think Spurs are very good the way that they sort of counter-attack transitionally off other teams it's very good attacking football um, but it, it, it's from a counter-attacking you know, formation and I just think when they play against your Burnleys and teams of that nature is where they could probably struggle a bit more than when they play the bigger team. Now, while Spurs going top is big news, it certainly isn't as big as the news that we're all finally going to be allowed back into football grounds. Fans and pundits alike have been delighted by the announcement, and here's how you heard it on TalkSport. Spectator sports and business events will be free to resume inside and outside with capacity limits and social distancing. Yes, we need fans back in the stadium. It's a safer option than it is to have fans watching from inside a cinema or a pub. We've had no fans in stadiums since March. Where there has to come a point, doesn't there, that the the health of a of a football club. Even when it does happen, if it's a thousand allowed in, I think the fans, the thousand fans that are allowed in, could make the same noise as ten thousand because they're going to be that excited. I think it's a simple case that the clubs and the EFL are just simply saying, do you know what? We can actually organise things and we can do it safely. We can actually police things really, really well. What on earth is going on? Let's fans in especially now for the smaller clubs they need revenue more than more than ever and for me the way forward would be to try and try and let supporters into the stadiums also brucey uh, fans are going to be allowed into stadiums from december the second up to four thousand watching in stadia in tier one areas two thousand will be allowed in in tier two areas However, the venues in Tier 3 will stay closed. Uh, The Prime Minister said all this this afternoon. He gave the go-ahead from next Wednesday for Tiers 1 and 2 of spectator sports and business events inside and outside with capacity limits and social distancing, which he said was more in keeping with previous plans for theatres and concert halls before the latest national lockdown. Do you not feel like this this 4,000, 2,000 is a bit of a joke and a number pulled out of thin air? If you look at most grounds, um, that's less than 10%. But you can put into you can put more than 10% of people into a theatre, which is a closed space, into a, a cinema, which is a closed space for events. So surely, if the clubs have got all of these top-line processes in place, which you guys keep telling us they have, and and I'm not, I don't doubt that fact, then surely shouldn't they be looking at, at more of a percentage figure rather than a hard line? This is the amount of people that should be going in. I think clubs, and we have talked to a few today. Some, was one who actually thought it's an awful lot of hassle to get to get the fans in because you need police that, and stewards. That, 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 and is not, that is not a view that you, you get much points for. No, 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 wrong, you won't, but, which is why they wouldn't go on the record about it. But it is a fact that they're going to find it very, very difficult to do and to administer because how do you decide which 4,000 fans are going to get into, say, Tottenham? Let's say, let's say you yeah. were somebody who contributed a lot of money towards Tottenham, say, in a private box uh, over the last mm-hmm. few seasons. You would expect 
that you would be at the front of the queue, wouldn't you, to get in? Yes. Now, can you be at the front of the queue? There has been a lot of talk about ballots to decide how, how fans get in. Well, who goes in the ballots? How do you work that out? It's really quite complicated, you know, to decide who gets in there. And there'll be... Your celebs and hangers-on and everything who'll all want to be expected should to get that, in as well. Should it be that complicated, though? Should it be... Should a, a, should a, should a ballot be complicated? How would Surely you decide? I'd An open ballot. Completely. Yeah. So no preference for anybody at all. No. Among, I mean, obviously. Okay. Well, 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 obviously well, what? So the minute you... Well, chairman and directors. People chairman who and are directors, are, are OK. In, yeah. What about past players? Well, it depends if they have a thing with the club, but generally an open club ballot. ambassadors. An open you, you, ballot. Honestly, you, you you can get up to a thousand before you've turned round. So then you, you then you you're keeping quite small. It's down to three thousand. But I tell you what, if if I put a lot of money into that club, I take Spurs as an example because it's a recent ground. I've had a lot of money. Those people, you are relying on those people to help your club in the future get back on its feet. Are you going to turn those well-heeled ones away? I bet they're not. You know. They're going to find ways of getting them into the stadium first. I know a championship club that has a capacity, I don't know off the top of my head what their capacity is, around 25,000, 30,000. They said a couple of months ago they could handle 8,000 fans being in their ground. So the government's had a look at it and obviously they've decided, well, we'll err on the side of caution and gone with half that figure. Now, listen, I'd rather have 4,000 than none at all. So, yeah, it does see, I know, I know what you're saying. It, can, it seems a little random, but there's other issues involved as well. At the stadia, I, can, I, I believe it's safe at a lot of these stadia that I've uh, contacted or been to. Every ground I've been to on a Saturday for Talk Sport, and sure, there's no fans there, but wow, they are so stringent, Premier League. I think the protocols put in place, I was at Villa on Saturday. It was. It, I felt incredibly safe being there. There's a number of journalists there. Obviously, there's staff with, within the football but they do it so well. Burnley was the best I've been to. It was so well managed. I, I even sent them an email to thank them. Away from the Premier League, European football expert Andy Brassel joined Paul Hawksby and Max Rushton to talk all things La Liga, and Andy's now certain that a big move is on the cards this season for, you've guessed it, Lionel Messi. As soon as Pep signed that contract last week, people started talking about Messi to Manchester City. Is anyone in Spain talking about Messi to Manchester City? Well, he's he's certainly not playing like someone who's looking to cling out on at Barcelona. Right. <laughs> um, I, th I think the main thing that's been discussed in in Spain is is the fact that um, that, that adjusted. Um, wage caps came out last week for all the various clubs. They're different depending on your, your income. It's not like NBA or NFL or, yeah. or, or, or whatever. And Barcelona are going to have to cut even more off the wage bill going into next season. That's easier said than done. Unless, of course, you let the contract of by far your highest earning player run out. And the, the reality is, as things stand at the moment, can they even afford to re-sign him? It's a question you have to ask. Yeah. I mean, if they can, this is the point about January, maybe going in January, because if they can get 30 million, 40 million possibly even in January for a player they're going to have to let go in the summer. Although I suppose, well, I don't know what it'd be like if Messi signed a pre-contract in January to go to City or elsewhere in the summer. It would be incredible if you could keep a secret like that. Yeah. I mean, his, his team would be doing a really good job <laughs> to keep that secret. Well, maybe if he didn't, if he just said, oh, yeah, I mean, we've seen players do this before, I'm definitely going to be leaving. He'll just say, I'll give 110%, uh, I'm sure, or at least 80 well, that, that, uh, that until would, I leave. That would probably work quite well <clears throat> for Barcelona. I mean, bear in mind, they don't sell out Camp Nou every single mm. week. Imagine 
Like, if, if you get to a point where they start letting fans back in the grounds, <laughs> if he was doing this, like, Kobe Bryant victory the farewell lap, tour. Yeah, yeah for, for the last six months of the season. Can you imagine that? They, would, they could charge what they want to get in and sell it out every single week. Yeah. But let's be fair... They need the money. I mean, we talked about how um, the press in different countries is seeing it, Max. Well, in Germany this weekend, they've been saying thank you to Barcelona for seeing Dortmund, at least partly through the corona crisis. Because, of course, Usman Dembele, who had an OK game at the weekend, they've recently paid another €5 million Euros to Dortmund for him. Because every time he makes 25 appearances, up until he makes 100 appearances, they have to pay an extra €5 million on top of what they already paid. So we're not talking about goals we're not talking about trophies every time he plays 25 games they have to pay another five million euros so basically oh. he's on 83 performances or 83 appearances already so basically 17 games time they have to give him another five million or just well. stick him on 99 <laughs> and then it's yeah. dropped for no reason it's happened before happens. yeah yeah and of course you can hear more from andy brassel and the team on the trans europe express each and every sunday night on talk sports also with Hawksby and Rushton, John Motson gave his review of the weekend action and started with how Diogo Jota is solving a lot of Liverpool's injury problems. What's happened to Liverpool's defensive crisis then with all these injuries? <laughs> they've, only, they've only conceded three goals in their last seven matches across all competitions, by the way. And obviously the big headlines yesterday were that they reached the 64 target of unbeaten uh, games at Anfield, which uh, is something that uh, they'll be proud of. Uh, this is their fourth season in, since their last defeat, by the way. Um, and what about the... Uh, the, the, the transfer fee, £41 million for Diego Jota. Mm. Is that the bargain of the summer, do you think, even at that price? Could well be, John. And the fact that it was, you know, they keep on about Firmino or Jota. What about Firmino and Jota? They didn't look too bad together, <laughs> did they? No, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it's been a big, big plus for Jurgen Klopp because uh, before the season got underway and before the transfer window, you would have said if, if Mane or Salah or even Firmino gets injured, have they got cover? Well, they have now, haven't they? Because Jota's just uh, tearing the place up, isn't he? Yeah, a wonderful performance from him. You know, this record is quite extraordinary when you think about it. And, and to get any record off that team, you know, 1978 to 81 of Liverpool, and there will be some people listening to this who are not old enough to remember that team, Motti. Just give us an idea of how good that late 70s, early 80s Liverpool side was. Well, they were terrific, weren't they? I mean, uh, Dalglish and Rush up front. In fact, they were both in the stand yesterday, I noticed. Mm. Uh, real Liverpool diehards. Uh, yeah, Terry McDermott, midfield, Graham Souness, people like that. I mean, it, it was a terrific team. It was managed by Bob Paisley, um, who actually <laughs> I knew quite well. And I always remember him saying to me, never look at a league table till they've played 10 games. So we need to wait till next weekend <laughs> before we start drawing conclusions about who's going to win what. So, uh, on to Leeds, Arsenal. We had a chat with Ian Stone, the Arsenal fan, earlier on. But, yeah, the old Arsenal goal, as they say, led a charmed life, Motti, didn't it? Well, my word, how many shots did Leeds have? 25 attempts on goal. Uh, meanwhile, Arsenal's goal drought continues. They failed to score in four of their last five matches, and the only time they did score was a penalty. And uh, with Pepe having been sent off and a record of only nine goals in nine games, I think uh, Arteta's got a bit of work to do there. Yeah, I mean, when you've got a team on the ropes, that's the, it's going to annoy Bielsa that because, you know, you've got to put one of those away. You can blame the woodwork so many times, but they had chances bef before Arsenal had uh, a man sent off and, you know, they, they didn't really capitalise on it. Yeah, I think, Motti, I don't know what you think. I think when Leeds attack at pace, 
there is a sort of beauty to it that I don't, and I don't know if I've just drunk the Bielsa Kool-Aid. You know, like <laughs> we've been all been told to love Bielsa, but when they move so quickly, it is a delight to see. Yes, and they hit the post a couple of times, didn't they, or the bar? Um, yeah, they're, they're a side on the move, obviously, although looking at their league position, they've still got a bit to do to uh, fulfil all the prophecies that have been, been made about Leeds early in the season, haven't they? Um, but Bamford's got to keep hitting the target, I think, if they're going to really make an impression. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a Good sign for Leeds. I mean, they should have won the game, really. That, that's the truth of it. Um, and it, it rather raises a few more questions about Arsenal. Mossy there giving us his views on Arsenal after their nil-nil draw with Leeds. And speaking of Arsenal, Mesut Ozil is back in the headlines after a spat with Piers Morgan, of all people, Arch Gunnar. The TalkSport team have weighed in on this debate and we start with Laura Woods and Troy Deeney on The Breakfast Show discussing the strikers' recent antics. It's interesting with Ozil. First of all, um, gets le- gets left out of the Arsenal squad, not named, so he can't be included. And he's sat at home with his feet up. Um, and he is so active on Twitter at the moment. He's just, Why like, not? He's become, he's become Arsenal's cheerleader. He's super, super active. I actually quite like to see it. I don't know what's going on in that, so, that whole situation. Um, he's obviously not favoured at all. Mm-hmm. I asked Mikel Arteta, but I interviewed him last week, and I asked him whether or not he would introduce him in January or whether his career is over and he said he can't say what could happen in the next few months he just doesn't know wouldn't commit either way what did you make of the tweets and the sort of spat that that Ozil had with Piers Morgan Troy um it's it's interesting I think it comes from a a, an air of carefree I think he's made his position very clear in regards to he's not going to leave and I think you've just got it's basically what we're doing two different opinions going at each other. Piers Morgan is obviously coming from the angle of wanting his wages off the, off the, off the Arsenal wage bill as a fan and probably thinks he's a, a distraction. Personally, never heard that Ozil is a bad character. I've always heard he's always had positive things about him. But if he's not playing, you can see why Ozil's going, well, I didn't ask for this. Let's live carefree and just enjoy myself and probably be more vocal than he's ever been in his career. But to not even be in a matchday squad, I can't have that. He's a good enough to be in any matchday squad, in any team in that division, in the matchday squad. I'm not saying he starts in the 11 aid, but to come on and influence a game, that's one thing he can do and he's done his whole career. But not to have him in his squad, he's going to take criticism every time they're going to run like this. But what Arteta's going to do is going to stick to his principles, he's going to stick to what he knows and how he wants to manage mm. and stop bowing to pressure and panicking. There's obviously an issue with wages and he's in the last year of his contract. And I don't think now, especially when you're seeing him so much more active on social media, I think he's mentally checked out as well. And and ultimately, you know, it's a shame because he's done well. I said it last week and I got battered for it. He's one of the best players I've I've personally played against. I think he's very good. Um, and I think Aubameyang and people like that would thrive off someone like him. And that's it from me, Paul Ross, from the Overnight Show here on TalkSport and Talk Radio. There'll be another one of these TalkSport daily podcasts first thing in the morning. Make sure you catch it. That was a podcast from TalkSport.